Hey, travelers, welcome back to another episode of Relish the Journey. This is your host, Miles, talking, and this week I'm joined by another Miles. That's right, we've got two Mileses on this episode. My grandfather, whom I'm named after, Miles. So last week we heard from my grandmother, and this week we'll hear from my grandfather. And so it's really neat for me, because I interviewed them in this order, to hear him say uh, similar stories from his perspective that my grandmother shared, but him saying the same situation from his point of view. So enjoyed this one. I know I certainly did. And, you know, there are some, how do you say, just like background noises, but hopefully it doesn't bug you guys too much. It's just part of the charm of these episodes, I think. If you can hear that TV in the background or phone conversations or every now and then a uh, hand brushing the microphone stand. I didn't want to really edit a lot of that stuff out because that's what made these episodes great in my mind is when I listen to these, I could put myself back in that same dining room at their house having this conversation. So again, even if this isn't your grandfather, you've got a grandfather out there, you did have a grandfather out there, and hopefully you can relate to this conversation, our back and forth and his stories. So same thing I said last week, if you haven't taken me up on it, go talk to somebody in your life, a grandparent, a parent. Ask them about them, not about their title or their relationship to you of mom, dad, or grandma, grandfather. Just ask them stories about what it was like for them growing up and how they got to be who they are. And I know you'll be surprised by some of what you hear, but it'll bring you closer. And that's what life's all about. So enough of me babbling. Let's hear from the other Miles. Here's grandfather. So paint the picture for me. The year is X, and you come into this world. What's the year? July 1, 1933. <laughs> and the world will never be the same again. During the Depression. So, and you were one of 12 children, right? One of 10 children. One of 10. During the Depression. Right. So, what was it like to grow up one of 10 at that time? Well, we weren't the richest people in the world. My father was a cop. Just a patrolman at that time. And uh, we had a, meals. We didn't have any problem with uh, the basics. But we didn't have the real other things in life. Um, hand-me-down clothes, okay? Of course, I was the oldest son, so there was no hand-me-down clothes. <laughs> they were yours first. Well, my sisters had that ordeal. Sure. So, um, but... Uh, when you think back about it, and my dad was a hard worker, my mom was a hard worker with 10 kids, and then uh, as we uh, aged, she opened up a, a restaurant to the rear of our property in a garage that we had facing another street, because our property went back to back Okay, between two streets, and... Uh, my sister Lois and my mom ran it, and it was a way of supplementing my father's income and also gave Lois a job to do. And uh, my mom was very happy doing that. She used to cook in our house and then carry it across the backyard to the store. And then they had equipment in the store, a Bay Marie or what have you, a grill, and, and they operated Hot dogs, hamburgers, sandwiches, that kind of stuff, soup. Yeah. And uh, they got all of the people from the factories that were down the road from us uh, because there was no restaurant in the area. So they did very well with that. And I, uh, in my youth, used to pedal my bicycle from the uh, store about a mile and a half to the bakery. And I would pick up the baked goods that they would use in the store every single day. Wow. And uh, that's how we survived those years, you know? Yeah. But they weren't easy years, but they were good years. We were always happy. And uh, one of the children was my brother, John, who was handicapped. He had cerebral palsy. And uh, we had to take care of John as well, you know? I can recall being in high school that uh, John still wasn't able to walk, and he was like nine years old. And uh, I made uh, skis that we could fasten to his shoe and have him walk with the skis and get his balance. 
he had a problem with balance. That was one of the jobs that I did for John. That's neat. I used to carry him up a flight of stairs to go to speech therapy until he was 12. Wow. And then he was able to walk after that a little bit. Sure. But over the years, he's progressed, and thank God he was able to get a job with the city, working in public works, and uh, he did that for 30 years. So, thank you, God. Yeah. So, the skis, was that one of your first uh, carpentry projects? Not really. No. Uh, I worked with my dad uh, building the house on the back. We, we added a house onto the store. Oh, really? And it was a two-story house. And uh, we moved from our house on the front street to that house. And my sister Lois moved into the house on a Monteras, the front street. So we had a tight-knit family. And I've always believed in uh, family and everybody getting along, you know. I think you, you've you experienced some of that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was good. Uh, high school... I had, uh, first of all, I went to Catholic school up until grade six. And uh, in grade six, I had the thought that because of my working with my father on the store improvement in the house, I felt like I wanted a little more in the carpentry field. So I asked them to let me transfer to Seoul Junior High School, which had wood shop metal shop, mechanical drawing. All of the things that I thought I would need right. in the carpentry. So uh, I've sort of focused on those three subjects. And uh, I got very friendly with uh, the high school woodwork teacher. And later on in years, as life progressed, I built an office building for myself. And I had a grand opening. Don't you know that the woodwork teacher came to my open house uninvited and came up to me and embraced me and whispered in my ear, I knew you would make it. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. I, that had to feel good. Yeah, I jumped ahead a little bit, but uh, that's one of the things that, first of all, I, I went to high school and uh, three years, I had an opportunity to join the Carpenters Local. And that was my dream. So I left high school and went into carpenters. And I worked on a, a housing job. My first day when I went to the carpenter's job, which was in Linden, same town I grew up in, by bicycle with a lunch bag under my hand. And I parked the bike on the, by that one of the houses. And I went in, and the foreman said, asked me, what are you doing here? I said, I'm an apprentice from the local. I, uh, I'm i supposed to work here. He said, where's your tools? <laughs> I said, I have my lunch. That's my tools. I, Tell me what I need, and I'll be, I'll be happy to buy them, whatever they are. I didn't want to bring something and not use it. So sure. he says, come with me. And he brought me to the mill and handling lumber. All day, two by fours, two by sixes, cutting out rafters. Well, by a couple of weeks at doing that, I think I knew every piece that went into a house. I didn't realize that I would be learning something by just handling lumber. Right. And then he took me from that and he uh, started out on uh, the deck of a building, first floor, and pounding nails into the subfloor. And then, little by little, I got involved in the carpenter business. And uh, it was a good experience for me. But the the problem is you worked in all kinds of weather. I mean, it it was cold in the winter back in those days, in the 50s. And uh, you managed to do what you have to do because that's your, your living. But I worked steadily for that company for three years on that one job. And when we finished that job, he asked us to come to another job in Edgewater, which was quite a commute. But my partner and I 
decided we would do it and stick with them. So we stayed with the same contractor and went and we were working on the Hudson River overlooking New York. It was really an interesting job. It was a six five-story buildings. And uh, again, you learn a different facet sure. of the carpenter business. You went from strictly residential to uh, this uh, job in the apartment houses. And we worked there about a year, I guess. And then uh, they didn't have any more work, so I had to go out of the union. And they sent me on different jobs that involved uh, concrete form work and a different kind of commercial building and a factory building. And over the years, I worked on factory buildings, office buildings. I had a real good uh, rapport with all of these different types of construction. So it worked. On the carpenter job, my initial three years, in the third year, we were nearing the end of the project, and we went to this one house that was entirely different from all the rest of the houses. And uh, there was a roof that was different and had a dormer type coming out of the peak of the roof. So um, he sent us there to do it and to put the sheeting on and to put the rafters. But the rafters were not pre-cut, so we had to cut the rafters ourselves. Now, there were five guys that were there, and out of the five guys, yours truly was the one who laid out the rafters for this oddball job. That was one thing, but a week later, when my salary came in, my paycheck, and it was in cash, I counted it, and it was more money than I normally got from the normal week. So I went to the foreman, and I said, hey, you must have made a mistake. There's too much money in the envelope. He said, no, no, no. The super and I were looking out the window, watching to see if any of our New York boys would dare to lay out those rafters. And the only one who did it was you. You're entitled to the increase. That's awesome. So I shut my mouth. And yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That was a... That's a good lesson, though. You never know who's watching. Yeah. Right? It's a little weird stuff, you know? Yeah. So when in, we're sitting in your house in Waretown, New Jersey, that you built right. over time. So when... And I'm staring at this collage above you that has the phases it went through. Right. At what point did you build the house that we're sitting in? Well, I was uh, 23, I think, at the time. And I had been working from since I was 18 on construction. I was single, 23. I had a nice car. It was a Nash Ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> but it got me to work. And at any rate, uh, I used to, my dad said that the General Motors Corporation, what was in uh, Linden, had these shanties that they used for change rooms while they were doing all of the uh, building and construction work. And after everything was done, they were tearing it apart and putting it out for garbage. And my dad clued me in about it. And he said, go down there and see if there's anything you, you could use. So I went down there with this Nash. I took the back seat out and I loaded in lumber as much as it was with Tarry, bring it home, put it next to my dad's house. So I got quite a bit of lumber out of there, enough to do the sheeting, the two by fours, and some of the rafters in a little house that I had designed. It was 22 feet by 30 feet with a 22 by 22 house with a a uh, 10 by 22 carport, which we later converted into a, a screened-in porch. But anyhow, uh, we had everything finished excepting for the plumbing. I did, it took me a couple of years to do this. Yeah. But I did it, dug the footing myself, poured the concrete myself. My brother Louie and I worked together on the carpenter work. He was like 12 Fortune, but he yeah. was handy. You need somebody on the other end sometimes. So he helped me, and thank God for that. But we built this little house, and uh, it was a summer cottage. That's what I had in mind, and that's what it was. And uh, later on in life, as you know, I 
I met my wife, and uh, I met her at a dance in New York City. Of course, we both used to like to do the polka dance. Yeah. And the Obedek and what have you. And uh, I was introduced to her by a young lady who was had won the Harvest Moon Polka Contest in Madison Square Garden, and she was Marion's friend, and I hadn't danced with her at various dances, and she I danced with her this night, and she said, I want you to dance with my girlfriend. She loves to dance. I think you would uh, be good if you did that. So we were in Manhattan Center, which was a uh, continuous music when you get polkas one right after the other no. for a whole night, you're looking for a partner, okay? Yeah. So I asked her to dance, and um, it's a little awkward when you first meet somebody and you never knew them. Sure. Uh, she agreed to dance with me, and we danced. And I said to her, she's wearing a dress, and she had embroidered into the dress three medals. And I looked at the medals, and I said, what are the medals for? And she said, good conduct. So I married her a year later. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's another little story, right? Yeah. So anyhow, we uh, did our honeymoon down here at my father's house because we didn't have the plumbing yet in, the in this house. Little, in this other little house. So how far from here was your father's house? Right across the street. Oh, really? That's my father's house right there. And you built that one too. Yeah, right. we built that one in 1950. Okay. So, 51, we did his other house in 1950, and this house in 1953. But we went there, and we stayed on our, our honeymoon there. Ironically, a week after the wedding, her parents came down uh, to visit, okay? So, we had to feed them, naturally. So, between my wife and I, we managed to come up with shrimp cocktail, from my sister Emily's store, <laughs> roast beef, mashed potatoes, and two vegetables. And we served it. And my father-in-law said to my mother-in-law on the way home, when did she learn to cook? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a combo. I had worked in that restaurant for a while, and I got some kind of experience there. Right. Uh, my wife was a good cook, no question. Yeah. That's good. And as you know, we had four children. Yeah. J.K., L&M. J.K., L&M. And we're two M&M's, so. There you go. Just a bunch of candy. <laughs> and we were able to take and put the kids through private grammar school. In the meantime, I had been working with my I went into my uncle's to pay my car insurance, and he said to me, why don't you sell real estate for me? And he said, you built them, you inspected them, nobody could sell them any better than you. So think about coming in. So I said, can I work part-time? He said, sure. So I went and I worked for six months part-time, as a real estate salesman. Uh, to get the salesman's license, at that time there was no schooling required, but you had to take an exam. And they gave you a book with all the rules and regulations. And uh, I studied the book, went in and passed the test and started to sell real estate. So I worked for him for seven years, and then I... Uh, left him because I wanted to sell insurance in conjunction with it. When I originally started with him, he said, you know, I don't have anybody in my family that could take this business over. Someday, you never know. He looked at me, you know, I figured him for what he was, an honest man, you know. Sure. So after seven years, I decided to go to school for the insurance so um, I told him, I said, look, I want to get my insurance license. He said, sure, go ahead, go ahead and get it. So I went to Rutgers for uh, the, the course, and I took up not only 
homeowners. I took up auto, the whole gamut, life insurance, and I became a licensed insurance broker as well as a realtor. And uh, I went to him because in those days you had to hang your license in an office. And I didn't certainly have any other office but that one. So I went to him and I said, look, I have my insurance license. Everything is kosher. I have to hang it somewhere. Can I hang it here? And he said, nobody hangs their insurance license in this office but me. Oh, interesting. So I came home that night and I said to my wife, something's not kosher. So the next day I went into him and I said, I think I'll be leaving. Yeah. You look at me, you're going to be leaving? You're not going to leave me in a hole, are you? I said, no. You tell me how long you want me to stay and I'll stay. He said, well, give me at least two weeks. I said, fine, whatever you want. You want a month, I'll stay a month. What are you going to be doing? I said, I really don't know. I may be going back into the carpenter business. That's the way I put it to him. Sure. Because at that time, things were a little tougher in the real estate business. And I was looking to get into the insurance a little bit. I figured that if I sold every single customer that I sold a house to, a homeowner's, that could be a little supplement to my income. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, you buy a house, you have to get insurance, so why right. not do it from the same so person? There, somebody, if they like you, they'll do it. Yeah. That's what I my thinking was, and that's what he used to do when he was selling. But when he had a, a me in the office, he no longer sold real estate. He just concentrated on the insurance. So at one point, we had up to, I think, about 10 salesmen. So I was competing with them, but I was- sure. I was his top salesman. But then he would get all the insurance, so you would have been infringing on that. Got it. So, so I left him, and I went to look for an office from me, and uh, I went up and down, and on the main street, there were just no offices available. So I went in the back street in the area where I grew up, the third, second ward, and I uh, found a closed-up grocery store. And uh, had been recently done over and paneled, so it would be an ideal spot. So I rented it and moved in, and it was on a monthly basis. So I could stay there as long as I wanted and just pay rent. Right. So after about seven months there, I acquired a salesman that came in and asked me if he could work for me. Mike Mugavero, hell of a guy. He's still around. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. And he's older than me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But anyhow, I then uh, took a ride again up Wood Avenue, riding around, and I spotted a store that there was somebody working inside painting and what have you. So I stopped, and I went over, and I talked to the guy who was doing the painting, and I said, uh, do you know if this store is for rent? He said, no, no, no. This store is already taken by Miles Hergut. I said, what? He said, Mr. Villani told me that Mr. Hergut is going to be using this office. I could not believe my ears when I heard this, right? So I said, where is this Mr. Villani? Yeah, who is this He guy? said, right across the street in the bus, bus building there. So I went across. He knew my father. Ah. Uh-huh. He... My father had worked to him back in the early days as a bus driver, part-time, when he was a cop working nights. Okay. He used to, again, to support the family. Right. So family was very tight. (laughs) So I moved in there, and I was there 11 years. And uh, during the 11 years, I did very well. So um, I, uh, at that point, was at a point where I wanted to see if there was any way I could better myself. We had bought a two-family house, and we had moved in. And uh, the two-family house was a magnificent buy because the rent almost paid for the mortgage. That's great. Yeah. So uh, we lived there for about three years with the tenant, and then the tenant left, and um, we took over the whole house. So each daughter had their own, you know? Yeah. So... At that point, um, when I was 
looking to get out of the office on Southwood Avenue, I took a walk, and I walked the whole street, and as I was walking down the, the far end of Wood Avenue, just near the end of the business district, I saw this old house, and uh, it was set back in off the street, and uh, I had worked also in my in-between, after I was a carpenter for 10 years, I worked as a building inspector in Linden. So I knew a little bit about zoning ordinances and what I could build and what have you. So that rounded out my experience. So I walked up to the door, I knocked on the door, and the woman came out, and I said, uh, are you thinking about selling? I would be interested in your house. And she said, yes, I am. I said, really? She said, yes. And the owner next door on each side want to buy it. I said, really? How much? They offered me $30,000. I said, both of them? He said, she said, yes. This one is 30 and this one is 30. I said, wow, doesn't that seem strange to you? She said, why? How, how did they arrive at a figure of, a figure of $30,000? I said, I would like to see the house, but right here where I stand, I would like to offer you 50000 for the house. She said, you have to see my attorney. I said, who is that? Jerome Kruger. I said, Jerome Kruger? Oh, I happen to know Jerome Kruger. He was the city attorney when I was councilman. There you go. So I had moved into that area while I was doing the real estate. So it worked out very well. I went to see Mr. Kruger, and he said, Miles, draw, draw up the contract and give me a copy. <laughs> That's crazy. So I prepared the contract, and they didn't like the contract. They wanted to hold the mortgage. So I thought to myself, if they hold the mortgage, I don't even have to qualify because they've already qualified me, right? Right. So I put down a decent down payment. That's why they said they would like to hold the mortgage. So we we agreed to it, and we closed. On the day after we closed... I had a bulldozer there at the house, and I had already had gotten a permit to put six offices on the front lawn of that old house. And I converted the house into a three apartments. It was already converted into two, I think, and I converted the third one. And we rented the three in the back, and I, then I rented the downstairs to all state insurance and they stayed there 25 years wow terrific tenant yeah and i have a doctor that was there about the same time and he's still there i had an attorney upstairs we took over the main level and then we had a satellite dish guy that was there a long time it was a real money tree it was really excellent so it all worked out for me you know yeah. And that's, uh, we worked there it's in my real estate business. When I moved into the new office, it sort of attracted other people. And we wound up at one point with like 15 people selling real estate out of my office. And my wife was my secretary. All the kids went to school. That freed her up. And it all fit right into the plan. Right. So, and she got, I insisted that she get her real estate license. So she not only got a, the license for a salesman, she got a broker's license. Just in case something happened to me, she could take over the business and support our family. So that's what was part of our plan. Yeah, it's a good plan. So as you can see, we're very close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you are what, it's you're like a textbook definition of an entrepreneur, but I'm curious if you ever thought of yourself that way. Uh, I mean, what you just rattled off in, you know, believe it or not, that was half an hour of that story would scare the heck out of most people to just think about even doing that. But it just came to you naturally, it seemed. And I'm just curious if you ever even thought about it like that, like I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a Well, I left out the big part about the uh, – I didn't give you the whole story, really. All right. Well, let's go. I left out the part about being the uh, building inspector in London. You had to have – 
10 years experience as a carpenter to qualify to even take the exam. So there was a vacancy there. I applied for it, and they said they would take me on subject to civil service examination. So they didn't call for an exam for two years. So I'm serving there for two years, but in the meantime, I was learning. I learned all the streets in London, okay, which as a realtor, important, right? Absolutely. I met different builders. Also, contacts for when you're a realtor, right? And I did part-time real estate work while I was doing the building inspector's job to get extra money to support the family again, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a learning experience. So the learning experience of four, four years, nights with the carpenters, learning how to lay out rafters, which I used. Right. And uh, the strangest thing, when we were building my father's house, the, my uncle came to visit with his two sons. And they, they looked at the house, and they're standing there, and they said, what kind of roof is that? I said, that's a hip roof. He said, well, who figured out the rafters for all that? How did you ever figure that out? So in my wisdom... I said, I used the Pythagorean theorem because he was a brain. Yeah. I mean, a real brain. He went to England during the Second World War, and he was working on the Mahan Project. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he he was a very bright man. And his two kids, the one went to Annapolis, came out of Annapolis. And he's living now. They're both living out that way. The one just passed away. About three or four days ago, his younger brother, my cousin Dick, mm-hmm. who I was his godfather, <laughs> when sponsoring confirmation. Gotcha. Know? Yeah, yeah. But he called me his godfather. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> well, we're only a few years difference yeah, in age. That's funny. But nice guy and a smart guy. And the other brother was a, a whiz. Yeah. So, so did you really use the Pythagorean theorem or you were just saying that to... It's part of the computation of a, of how you would find out a squared plus b squared equals c squared. The square root of this and the square root of this tells you the length of the rafter. If you want a quick way to do it, you just do that, and you can have the length of your lumber that you're going to order. So, in fact, I did use yeah when I was initially buying the lumber. You can also use the steel square and compute it from that. So, but it paid off because I got a raise <laughs> just for that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. So That's awesome. learning was good. But I had to wait till the third year before I did it, you know. Yeah. So that was that. But I had a rather interesting life with, with my jobs and the variations in the workplace. And I'm happy. I sit here now totally retired. How old was I when I stopped working? I don't think you stopped working now. <laughs> You're still doing stuff all over the place. Yeah, but I was retired from 629. It must be now about 10 years. Yeah, because... 10 years from 86 takes you to 76, 75, somewhere in there. Yeah. How many guys worked till like 75? Not many. No, not many. Yeah. But... Being in the real estate business, you can do that. Right. So, yeah, and it's interesting because it seemed like all of the positions you held that you rattled off ended up feeding that real estate yeah. side. Is that how the councilman came into play too? That you, did uh, you have to advocate for things in real estate, or did you get? Well, when we bought the house on Henry Street, the two family, yeah, it was in the third ward, and there was a councilman who went to the same church as I did, and. Um, I was there maybe living in that house maybe two years, and it was an election, and I decided to run against him for councilman. And I liked him. He was a nice guy, but I ran against him. So why did you decide to run against him? And I lost the election. So he was put in. He was very well liked. Uh, After a couple of years, he said to me, listen, 
you just, I would like you to join the Third Ward Democratic Club. And he was trying to solidify it. So I said, okay, and I joined it. So they right away, after I was in there a short time, asked me to run for office, and they made me the secretary of the Third Ward. And then the following time, uh, there was a vacancy in the presidency. They ran an election. Somebody nominated me, and I waltzed in as president of the Ward Club. The councilman then had a heart attack, and he got over the heart attack, and he called me on the phone. He said, I want to talk to you. Come on over. He owned a funeral home. So I went, and I talked to him. He was a nice guy. He says, uh, listen, I, uh, I'm going to have to step down as a councilman. I would like you to fill my vacancy like that. Okay. Come home, talk to Marion, and we said, yeah, why not? So I joined the, the yes. organization, city council. And uh, I served there, I guess, two years. And then there was, uh, after one year, they have an election to fill the, the expired term. So I ran for that, but nobody ran against me. So I was just automatic for the rest of his term. Right. And then they had the regular election come up. I ran again, and somebody ran against me. And I beat them two to one. So I was in. I served 14 years Wow. as a councilman. During that time, the governor of the state of New Jersey, Brendan Byrne, appointed me to the New Jersey Real Estate Commission. I had been president of three different boards of realtors, and I had worked through presidency of a multiple listing system, and I held offices in different phases of each one of those. So I was... Doing a lot of things. Yeah, at you once. were. Yeah, all together, and it all worked out. So I served uh, six years down in Trenton as the vice president of the real estate commission. How did I get to be vice president? I was there two years, and one of the other people who served on the board, we came up for election of officers. I want to nominate Miles Herger for president. I looked at him. I said, "I just." can't possibly do it with everything else that I had going on. Right. So I said, I'm awfully sorry, but I I just don't think I can accept the nomination. However, I would make and like to make another nomination. I'd like to nominate Herb Tansman, who was a real gentleman. And he looked at me and he looked at the other guy. He said, I'll take it if Miles is my vice president. <laughs> they voted an acclamation. That's funny. And they had the swearing in, Aunt May, yeah. my sister Joan, and her husband, my wife, all attended That's nice. the swearing in ceremony down in Trenton, which was very nice. Again, family. Yeah. So did you ever have any more political aspirations beyond those? Did you ever run for anything else? That No. No? Nope. That was that. I just was concentrating on the business. After you get to a certain point, the business gobbles you up. Sure. If you're doing a job, right job. Well, it seemed like all of those things fed the business, so it made sense to keep doing them. Right. So, and then uh, things worked out from there. Janice came in and worked as the sales manager. As you know, my wife was secretary for a number of years. Family business. Yeah, that's awesome. So then Janice became my sales manager. So. She did that for a few years, and then I sold the business to her. She took over. She ran it for a few years, and then they bought the house down here. Right. And she wanted to get out from under because of the commute. So I was living at that time here. So I said, no problem. I'll buy it back from you. So I gave her back the money that she paid for it, and I took it back over. And then I ran it for, I don't know, a few more years. And I, interesting story. I'm full of stories. <laughs> That's all right. I went out. Janice and I used to like to go to a little hot dog place in Linden, which was a walk down Wood Avenue, and you went to lunch. You always met somebody. You can always talk business. When you're eating, you, you never know who you're going to run into. So um, 
we go in there for a hot dog, and we sit down, and I'm looking across. I saw classmates there, and this the owner of the hot dog place wasn't working there. He had other businesses, and this was one of his subsidiaries. He owned five or six oh, wow. decent restaurants. He came over to me. He says, you're in business. You're in a real estate business. Um, do you have any apartment houses or or something like that for sale in Linden? I said, I only have one. He said, really? Where is it? I said, well, it's a six-unit office with three apartments. He said, really? I'd be interested in seeing it. So I took him over, and I showed him, and he wound up buying it. And then my recent memory came back to me about the people who sold me the property holding the mortgage. Yeah. I did the computation on it, and based on how much he paid with the me holding the mortgage, I would wound up with one point two million total if you kept the mortgage. I had no mortgage, one point two million over the term of the mortgage, and I, the mortgage payment was fifty one hundred dollars and change. So right here we sit. Doing nothing, collecting $5,100 a month plus. So we're in good shape. Yeah, and it came full circle. And that mortgage will probably be there even after we're dead. However, you never know. Sure. (laughs) You can live for a long time. Yep. That pretty much brings you up to date. Brings me up to date. Okay. That was quite the – that's very full circle. So one – story I'm curious about, and I have a lot of stories with you, but um, when I was a little kid, right, anytime you and I went anywhere, you'd make this big deal about me also being named Miles. You'd parade me around and say, do you know who this is? You know, this is my namesake and things like that. I still did it tonight. You did. And I always got a kick out of it when I was a little kid. It made me feel awesome. And so I'm curious what that moment was like for you when my mom says, hey, meet your grandson, Miles. And I think he said something like, oh, why'd you, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you call him that? But that'd be cool, right? You had four daughters, no sons. I was the first grandson. What was that like to say, oh, there's another Miles in the world? Especially knowing Wouldn't how much- it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> For all I knew, you were the only boy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yes, finally. <laughs> Yeah. But was it like that for you Cause, uh, with, from the Miles that you were named after? that? Well, you know, the Miles I was named after was the mayor of Linden. And he died at age 40. He never had any children. And I used to live with him sometimes six months at a time. My mother never missed one child. Out <laughs> of ten. <laughs> ten, yeah. Good, you take care of them. That's good, right? <laughs> That's funny. And at one point, my sister Mary also was living with us. So it was Miles and Mary, and her name was Mary, and they called her Aunt May. But her name was Mary M., and my sister was Mary. Oh, that's interesting. And I so. was Miles J, and he was Miles J. So it was like we were named after them. Yeah. yeah. So they took special interest and care. They were just so good to us, you know. And part of it was her sister had 10 kids, and we'll help you out by taking care of these two. That's know? funny. So that's Christmas great. was a real bonanza. He would buy – I remember one year – I said, I want a toy box. The toy box came full to the top with toys. And one of the toys was a Superman outfit. I remember that. Nice. (laughs) And I was only, you know, eight or nine years old, whatever. Yeah. But they treated me very well. That's fun. That's really fun. I remember the first time we drove in and, and he's got a school named after him. Right? That was yeah. neat to see. Junior high school. Yeah, the name Miles in, in quote-unquote lights. Interesting. That school, I, I went in there and they had no kind of display about who Miles McManus was. I went into the principal's office. I was talking to him. And I gave him, well, to make a long story short, my Aunt May gave me all of the memorabilia and paper clippings out of the clippings out of the paper for things that he had done and what have you. And I gave the whole works to the principal and they're displaying them. Oh, that's neat. In the front foyer of the school. So I feel like I 
tried to fulfill a little bit of, yeah. you know, going back for them. That's really cool. I don't know. Yeah. When did they did they name that school after him while he was still alive, or did that happen? Did he get to see it? After he died. After he died. <clears throat> he died at age 40. Yeah, it's so young. And he was the mayor for 12 years. Wow. So he was the youngest mayor in the USA at that time. Wow. Yeah, 12 years. He would have been 28 years old. No, we're old. talking he died in 1944, I think. It's hmm. so early. It's a shame. Yep. When you think back on all the stories that you just gave me, what was a really cool piece of advice that somebody gave you as you were tackling all of these different projects that's, that sticks out to you? Cool piece of advice. How about my uncle saying, you know, you you built them, you inspected <laughs> them, you ought to be able to sell them better than anybody. Yeah. Do you think you would have pursued that if he hadn't said that to you? Um, I don't know. I really don't know because I was in there to buy auto insurance. <laughs> <laughs> And he was sort of egging me on. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Sometimes it takes other people just to punch us between the face with what should be obvious to us, right? Well, I learned after a while that real estate brokers are always soliciting people to be salesmen. So that was part of his forte. To, you know. Sure. Because don't brokers get a piece of whatever they sell, so it helps them. Helps you. Got it. At the time, 50%. Oh, wow. So whatever I earned, he earned. Yeah. My first year in real estate, I just about equaled what I had in the building inspector's salary, a little over $5,000. And you're doing that part-time, you said, right? Yeah, part-time and then some of it full-time. Um, the second year was 11000 and then it went up from there. But I still have the original book downstairs of every cent that I've earned. Since I'm in the real estate. Oh, really? That's cool. You kept your own ledger. The name of the buyer, the name of the seller, the address, the amount of the commission. That's neat. I did some pretty nice projects. I um, sold the Lampert Dairy Farm, and that was a $50,000 commission. One of my salesmen sold it. And uh, I sold myself um, property on... Kennedy Drive, which I named after our newborn. <laughs> At least I'm told her that. Yeah, sure. She won't know. <laughs> That's but funny. I did name it Kennedy Drive. It was a two-family development, and that really is what got me going. Yeah. I, yeah, those are big chunks. I, I saved. I sold 21 of the 34 houses myself. That's quite a feat, you know? Yeah. And then uh, this same builder who built that um, was working on another project. And he said to me, I'll give you the listing on that project too, if you leave your your uncle. He says, I can't get along with him. Hmm. So that also was impetus, you know? Right. Yeah, knowing that people wanted you. When I left him, I took over that project. Ironically, his project was in the second ward, and my office is here, and the project is here. Yeah, so it worked. Yep, so it worked. Yeah. So you mentioned Kennedy offhand. Well, you think about, you know, G4, right, as it's being called now, Kennedy and Mason so far, and who knows how many. I named it after JFK, in all honesty. (laughs) I know. I I knew it wasn't her. She was a born (laughs) yet. But you mentioned that name, right? It made me think of that. And I asked Grandma the same thing is – you know, you got that advice about, hey, you should sell these. You know, thinking of the future, one day Mason and Kennedy are going to listen to this conversation we're having right now, right? So, what's one piece of advice that you would have for them, just in general? I don't know of anything I can I could name the boat after Mason. <laughs> you could, you absolutely could. Mason Miles, huh? Yep. I have no name on the boat. I never had a name on it. Anyhow. I don't have any streets that I can name after Mason. <laughs> but if you had to give Mason and Kennedy a piece of advice about life in general, what would you say to them? Uh, one word, perseverance, which is a word that was banged into my head in a sophomore year of high school by my math teacher. 
who taught me the Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it works for rafters and a whole lot of other things. That's great. It worked for me. Yeah. It probably should work for them. Absolutely. It's timeless. So that's a word. And so that brings me to the question I ask everybody is about three words and the three words that you would use to describe your life so far. So what would those three be? Wow. I think it's an easy answer. Okay. I love Marion. Oh, always the romantic. That's a good three. Well, she is a big part of my life. And we worked together all three of these years. So my three words are, I love Marion. She helped me over the hurdles. There were times there during that when I made these decisions. I should say we made these decisions that were complicated to make because of our family. We had four children. And to take those daring chances to move from one job to another job at the chutzpah yeah. without her backing me up, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm going through one of those right now, you know? I'm here in the middle of the week because I left one job and I'm starting another, and I agree with you. I, if I didn't have Claire helping me through it, it'd be much more difficult. But remember what I said, don't ever burn bridges. Absolutely. You may have to go back there. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I was leaving my uncle, I said, I don't know. Right. And I didn't know. But I, and secretly, I knew that I wanted to open my own office. Right. And yeah, I but- did very little in the insurance business between you and I. The real estate business overwhelmed me, you know? Sure. But you do what you can do. Right. Well, any questions for me in this? Have I sparked anything where you're curious sitting here asking, wondering something about me that I've asked you about yourself? Why the hell are you living so far away from me? (laughs) Really? That's because where I got my first job and I just never left. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't like that first job. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I got another job and we'll see where it takes me. That's funny. Fair question. Fair question. But that's what's nice about this job is that a lot of people in the company do work remotely. So who knows where we'll end up at some point. But yeah, it's... Kind of found my way into a lot of things. Similar to you, it's I've had a lot of different experiences that to me didn't really seem like they um, they were as related as they actually have been. Not, I mean, maybe it was the same for you, going from you know building to the, being the building inspector and selling and all those things. Because for me, I've done what seemed like a lot of separate things that have, have now all started to collide into something that's really making sense. So we'll see where they keep taking us. Yeah, well, life can be beautiful. It is. It absolutely is. I really appreciate you doing this. It's been a lot of fun for me. I like hearing your stories. I didn't know what you were going to ask me, though. <laughs> I was befuddled. <laughs> you were not befuddled. <laughs> All right. That'll be it for this week's episode. Very special thank you to my grandfather for being an awesome guest and storyteller on this week's episode and thank you again to all of you for listening this week and every week if you haven't done so already please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode check us out on social media all the social media channels it's at rtj podcast and be sure to email me your thoughts and feedback i love hearing from listeners my email is miles with a y at rtjmedia.com till next week everybody cheers